You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back, and better than last week, we hope. We've got a lot to get to. It's getting late in the season. couple of games left. The playoff picture is still not quite completely in focus, but uh, we've got a lot of teams to look at, surprises, disappointments. But uh, first off, let me bring in my partner here, Alex. Alex, what's going on, man? I'm excited for the playoffs. I'm just uh, excited to to see some of these matchups, to see some of these games. Uh, it's the first time that we're going to have seven teams from each conference, and I think the more games you can add, the better. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, there's a good chance an 11-5 and team in the AFC won't make it, even with a seventh team. I don't know if it's just an anomaly, but uh, it really looks packed in the, in the bottom of the AFC. And then we'll get a 6-10 and 10 team from the <laughs> right. NFC East that will make it. It's, nah, it's just in some years it's just going to be like this, right? It's just like I said, let's get that 11-5 and 5 team that's going to miss the AFC. Let, let's put them in the playoffs in the NFC and watch them win it. And get to the Super Bowl. Uh, but the, the, the Ravens might be might be your candidate there for sure. That's not a team that I would want to play in the playoffs. I'm telling you that right off the bat. I mean, Lamar Jackson is playing better. That defense is lethal. They're running the football. The Ravens look better than the Steelers right now, though. Well, no question. I mean, Steelers look like a. a you know, they're spiraling downward. I mean, they're really going to have to. I mean, they get the Colts this week. That's not going to be an easy game. I mean, they, they're definitely in, but they're definitely trending down, whereas, you know, the Ravens are the other way around. So I'm sure the rest of the conference is just praying, praying that they don't get in. Well, let's talk about the NFC. Uh, the the question that that's on tap in the beginning of the show is, who is the best team in the NFC right now? I'm going to go with the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, they're 10-4 and four right now. They have clinched the playoffs. And this week, according to Bovada Sportsbook, the, the Seahawks are minus one and a half points versus the Los Angeles Rams. That's going to be an incredibly tough matchup with the Rams coming off the, the loss to the New York Jets. You know they're going to be motivated because they're trying to get into the playoffs. The Seahawks are hitting their stride on defense, but I get the feeling you're going to say, what about their offense, Alex? I mean, how can you put them as, as the best team in the NFC? Go ahead, Lou. Pile well, on. Well, they've really flipped the script. You know, I mean, so it, it, it's hard to say because I, I did a little bit of a dive in, into the numbers. And through the first eight games, you know, we had, we had the show. We were talking about the MVP. And you know, Russell Wilson was at the head of the conversation when – now, the past six games, I don't want to say he's completely fallen off, but they've really changed the way they play. I mean, first six games, uh, they were averaging 34 points a game but giving up 30. The last six games, they've averaged 23, but they only give up 16. Now, have they really changed the way they play? First eight games, 23 for 37 per game, uh, completions versus attempts. These last six, 22 out of 32. Okay, but in the first eight, he was 28 and eight touchdown interception, whereas the last six, he's nine and five. So is it Russ? Is it the offense? Well, let's look at the running. 24 attempts per game, the first eight, 4.8 yards per pop. The last six games, 28 rushes per per game, 4.9 a carry. So. You hate to just look at pure numbers, but I just wanted to look at that just to see, okay, how much have they really changed the way they play? I don't know that that's really that big of a difference except for the fact that their running backs are getting healthy. The defense, as you mentioned, is better. Uh, Carlos Dunlop has been a huge addition. That pass rush went from nothing to now they're one of the more significant ones. 
you got to throw Jamal Adams in there too. But then you look at the function of who they've played. The, the football team struggled with them in the second half. You know, ends up twenty to fifteen, which you know, by the way, was a winner in the pick segment. But we'll get to that later. Uh, the Jets, the game before, you know, forty to three. They sure, okay, they took apart the Jets. Game before that, they lose to the Giants. Uh, the Eagles was 23-17. They did beat Arizona, but then the game before that, they lost to the Rams, you know, and they only scored 16 points. So th- this is a tough one. I mean, it really is. I have a different team, and it may be recency bias on my part because I just saw them play. But I think the Saints, as difficult a game they had offensively, they looked really good on defense, even though the Chiefs scored 32 they score that many on just about anybody, but they put a lot of pressure on Mahomes. The Chiefs had to really change the way they play. If Breeze can kind of get back into the flow over these last couple of games, he kind of came on in the second half. I think they're really going to be a problem for anybody they play, and it's more so because of the defense. They've got to get Michael Thomas back. That is an absolute. That's kind of the caveat in my pick. With Thomas moving forward and fairly healthy, doesn't even have to be 100%, but even the threat, I think he makes them the best team. I just don't think the Saints have those weapons on offense. Uh, Michael Thomas is out for the regular season. We know he's not going to be 100% for the playoffs. I mean, it's it's almost a certainty here. He's been banged up the entire season. We also know that Drew Brees, he's not going to be 100% healthy. It's just, it, that's, that's pretty evident as well. Yeah, he's out there on the football field. He's trying to get into that rhythm uh, before the playoffs. And I understand why Sean Payton started him. He wants him to get back into the groove. I'm not sure Emmanuel Sanders is the number one wide receiver. He's never been a number one guy. He's not going to carry this team. Will the Saints defense actually carry the day? We've seen some up and down performances from them. You know, one week they look good, like against the Chiefs. Then the next week they're they're not looking so good. I just I'm questioning that offense at this point. I mean, you question my Seahawks offense. I, I got to pose the same question to the New Orleans Saints. So to me, a lot of it hinges on, like you said, Michael Thomas coming back for the playoffs and the Saints getting home field advantage. Because if they don't get that number one seed, there's no way they're going to beat Green Bay in Lambeau in January. Yeah, they definitely do not want to go outdoors. Neither of us mentioned the Packers, where they're sitting uh, right now with the number one seed. Again, I think we'll learn a lot about their chances after this game this weekend with Tennessee. They seem to have struggled with teams that kind of bully them, right? And if Derrick Henry goes in there and does the same, I don't know that it gives other teams a blueprint. I think everybody knows that's the way you got to beat the Packers. In my mind, they're Achilles' heel. I just don't trust the Packers at all. Like, they struggled in the second half against the Panthers. Just like the Seahawks struggled against Washington in the second half. Uh, Actually, three points in the second half. They allowed five sacks. Aaron Rodgers was under constant pressure. And I'm not saying that the Panthers' front should remind you of the, the Washington front. You see flashes from Packers' defense, but there's no real consistency. The Packers have a great cornerback in Jair Alexander. He's a good one. But they've got a problem as the number two cornerback. Kevin King looks like a weak link. That's my problem. I'm not seeing consistency on the defensive side of the ball, even though they have the best record in the NFC. And we're talking about, like, you know, the Packers are trash right now. uh, And they still have Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams' connection. And Aaron Jones is the unsung hero that they can get those yards on the ground. You got, what, like over 140 yards? Uh, last game. So the Packers are a good team, but I just don't think that I can trust them again. And this is the reason why I'm going with the Seahawks. They're peaking on defense, and Russell Wilson is the best quarterback in the NFC. I mean, with all due respect to Drew Brees, with all due respect to Aaron Rodgers, and Seattle has the two best wide receivers, and Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, and they've got a pretty good number three as well in David Moore. 
I'm taking all of that under account. And I'm saying, look, the Seahawks are winning games. You know, they're finding their running game a little bit, finding more consistency. Russell Wilson was throwing wild in the first half of the season, and the defense is peaking. And to me, that's the reason why I believe the, the Seahawks are the most complete team. Well, again, it should be a very exciting playoffs on that side. Uh, well, actually, both sides. But as far as the NFC is concerned, there's not a huge. I mean, when you talk about the best team, it's not like there's this huge separation. Again, you can probably make a case for any of these teams, and maybe the biggest uh, plus for Green Bay was is being able to play all their playoff games at home, and Seattle maybe having a, a little tougher time of it. You know, if they have to uh, go up there, but you know. Know, they they travel well, so it, it should be it should be a good playoffs uh, moving forward. I think we'll find out this week. Yeah, uh, oh, absolutely. Packers, that Tennessee game Packers, is going to be a going to be a, a very good litmus test for sure. Yeah, according to Bovada, the Packers are minus three at home versus the Tennessee Titans, and that that is going to be a tough test. And we'll find out if the Packers can can stop Derrick Henry and if they can stop Brian Tannehill's. Uh, play action passes. So that's that's going to be a huge matchup. And next week, I'm sure I'm going to be singing a different tune when the Packers take care of the Titans. And then I'll be like, Lou, what what the hell were we thinking by by going with the Seahawks and the Saints? I mean, the Packers are the real deal. So it changes every week. This is a huge test for the Green Bay Packers. Well, how about some – there's some surprises out there this year for sure. I had a difficult time coming up with just one. Uh, some were surprising in a negative way. But I think well, let's put a positive spin on this as far as the, your surprise team for the year. I'm going to go with the Miami Dolphins. I feel like – Brian Flores, I brought it up a couple of months ago. Brian Flores should be the leading candidate for coach of the year because no one, but nobody in their right mind thought that the Miami Dolphins would be in the playoffs. They're up there. They're in the thick of things. Tua is feeling more comfortable. He's playing better. And if something happens, I mean, they have, they have a great backup in Ryan Fitzpatrick who's been through a lot of games. The Dolphins are 9-5 and five right now. You mentioned last week that they don't have any wide receivers. I mean, they're just plugging guys in from the practice squad. Devontae Parker can't stay healthy. He's supposed to be their number one guy. They've got fourth, fifth string running backs that we've never heard of that are carrying the day for them. But it all boils down to that secondary and that defense. They're disciplined. I mean, they stay in their gaps, they stop the run, they stop the pass, defense wins championships, and that's a really well-coached team. And I just, I get the feeling that once they get some players in the next year or two, once they get these draft picks and they hit on a few guys, Miami Dolphins are going to be a dangerous team. I guarantee you that they're a one-and-done team in the playoffs this year. But that's not the team that I would want to play in the long term because they're here to stay, not only in the AFC East, but they're going to be contenders in the AFC for, for a long, long time. No question. And this week, uh, Bovada has the Dolphins minus three versus the Las Vegas Raiders, and the Raiders are falling out of that playoff picture, and uh, Derek Carr is out for a couple of weeks. But we saw... You know, Marcus Mariota come out of the dead, and he had a really good game. But let's come back to the Miami Dolphins. What do you think about my surprise team? And well, is I that think that one of your surprise Yeah, I mean, I think well? they're definitely as close. I mean, for all these uh, Belichick disciples that have kind of gone on and tried almost like, I don't want to say recreate, but kind of take that approach, this is the closest, and this may, may end up being better. I mean, as far as where they are right now, as quickly as they've, they've turned this thing around from last year at the beginning of the year where they were just awful to about maybe three quarters of the way the season or the end of the year. I mean, they were looking pretty good. And now, like you said, even after all these injuries, the culture has just kind of taken over. They made all the right moves on defense in free agency and the draft. All these guys are playing well. Again, my perspective is watching them against the Chiefs where they were severely undermanned, 
but you know they kept plugging away. They didn't beat themselves, and they were in the game. And this is with a, a rookie quarterback, and he's only started a handful of games, and he seems to be getting better and more composed as the weeks go on. So yeah, I agree with you there. I actually had them as as one of my surprise teams, but I guess that an even bigger surprise to me is that the Cleveland Browns have not imploded. That it's actually you know Kevin Stefanski's uh, system, if you would, that Baker is kind of bought in. They're all kind of shutting up and just kind of going about their business. That they're an over like a great team, but the fact that they, again they haven't imploded, they haven't just been themselves. Where you just imagine like the the game against the Giants in years past that might have been a game that they kind of let slip away. They're showing that they're much improved, that they're they're sticking with the plan, that Chubb and Hunt and, and, and just a little bit of Baker sprinkled in with some of those receivers, and it is working a little bit better without the specter of having to get OBJ the ball. And I think that, no, they're not a better team without him, but I think Baker has less pressure on him and just is out there distributing to wherever the ball is supposed to go without having to feel like, hey, we got we got to feed OBJ, we got to feed OBJ. But, yeah, they've been outscored overall as a team, which is just mind-boggling. But they're 10-4, and four, and that last game against Pittsburgh may be for the division especially if uh, Pittsburgh goes down this week against the Colts. So, yeah, that's, uh, that would be the biggest surprise, that, that Stefanski was able to get that thing turned around so quickly and get them headed in the right direction, especially, again, with Baker Mayfield. I'm just glad that we're talking about the Cleveland Browns on this show for all the right reasons. In a positive I remember when... <laughs> When you and I used to do the podcast, the Browns were a hot topic, and we talked about them always in bad light. Like, can they finally get a coach? Can they finally get a culture? And I'm glad that we're sitting here at the end of the season. They have 10 wins. That's that's a huge step up. Obviously, that culture is changing. That head coach and, and the whole coaching staff have done a terrific job riding ship hasn't been perfect, but they're just they're dealing with the situation and making it work. How about the most disappointing team this year? There's a lot of them, actually. You know, I mean, it just seems you know some of these divisions have kind of turned upside down. I mean, not to mention, I mean, the NFC East. You could probably make a case for any of those teams. Maybe not. I mean, the Giants probably were the ones in, in Washington, but here they are, you know, in playoff contention. So we won't, we've talked enough about them on the show. I would say the one that's disappointed me the most has been the Chargers. I really thought they were going to be good. Now, I thought they were going to be a much different team. Tyrod Taylor starting, maybe uh, we wouldn't have seen Herbert until like around now or maybe a few games if they you know were out of playoff contention. But I really thought they were going to be good. But again, Derwin James you know goes out early. Yeah, Bosa's been in and out of the lineup. Ingram, you really haven't seen much of. They've had injuries with the uh, with Austin Eckler being out. Uh, the receivers haven't been that consistent, short of Keenan Allen. They just have not been able to find that second and third weapon to tight ends. Hunter Henry, inconsistent. Good, but not great. Them, I really thought they were going to challenge the Chiefs this year. I mean, maybe that's just me, but I really thought they were going to pose a threat yeah, I mean, for many reasons, and I think this is going to be one of those cases where if they get the right coach in there and turn things around, I mean, obviously they found a gem in Herbert. This is going to turn around in a quick in a quick fashion. Next year, they're, they're going to be one of the hot teams. Well, the Cowboys are too easy, uh, but the reason why I put them on the list is because I had them winning the NFC East, and I thought they were going to be a Super Bowl winner this year. So that was a huge miss, I mean, for for me and uh, my predictions. But they get a little bit of a mulligan because of all the injuries and because their best player went out, and that's Dak Prescott. Because if Dak Prescott would have been in there, I'm sure the Cowboys would win this division. I mean, all you need to do is, is get to, what, seven wins? 
I think the Cowboys could have managed that, even with their bad defense. Dak Prescott and those wide receivers were clicking. They get a little bit of a mulligan for me. I'm going to go with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I picked the Vikings to win that division, the NFC North. It seems like Zimmer is just not working for that team anymore. He's, he's a great coach, but I get the feeling that they've tuned him out because Dalvin Cook is one of the best running backs in football. Yeah, he's missed a couple of games, but he's been carrying that offense. Kirk Cousins is Kirk Cousins. He's average, and I guess he's never going to take the Vikings to the Super Bowl. But Justin Jefferson has been a revelation, uh, you know, the, the best rookie receiver out there. They still have Adam Thielen. That run defense is still pretty good. They've struggled in the secondary. So I can't figure out the Vikings. They have the players, but they just haven't gelled together. And something has been off. If something is off, it goes to the coaching staff, it goes to the head coach. The Vikings are too good of a team to miss the playoffs this year. That's the reason why they're the most disappointing team just in the entire NFL. Including, obviously, you could put the Patriots in there. Um, a lot of people still believed in Bill Belichick and Cam Newton, and that hasn't worked this year. The Vikings are the most disappointing team to me. We would like to welcome our first guest to the show. It's Elena Getzenberg. Uh, she's a Carolina Panthers beat writer uh, for the Charlotte Observer. Elena, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Well, obviously, it's a lot of news coming out of Carolina this week, and the big news was the Panthers fired their GM, Marty Herney. Ultimately, what do you think led to this decision? I think there's a few factors. Um, it was something, first of all, that was a little bit, um, I don't want to say inevitable, but wasn't a surprise when it happened um, after hiring head coach Matt Rule last January. Um, it's natural when you bring in a new head coach that, you know, signs a seven-year deal that a new general manager would also accompany that. And, you know, Marty Herney had been with the organization for, he was, fired in 2012 and then he was brought back after Dave Gettleman was fired so he spent a lot of time with the organization. I think this decision was ultimately made because Matt Rule um, wants to have some same personnel. He does not want to be the DM but he was you know he's very involved in the organization overall. The team owner David Tepper has a vision for what he wants the organization to look like and Marty Herney tends to be a little bit more old. Those term old school. <laughs> Uh, he's more traditional. He's not as much into the analytics, which is a flashy word, but basically data and all that. There's just a way they want to grow this organization. And Matt Rule getting to pick someone he likes and someone he can work well with was a huge part of it, but also just David Tepper's vision for the future of the organization. All right, Elena, you mentioned a couple of key terms there. Obviously, you know, analytics, data-driven, that seems to be the way the league is going, at least, you know, some teams. Now, Granted, analytics and numbers aside, what do you think the number one job will be for the new GM? Is it more player-oriented, or is it just restructuring the, the front office? I don't, that's a good question. I think it's more so, like, whoever they choose to bring in, I think it's more so player-wise just because whoever they bring in, Matt Rule said this, David Tepper said this this week, they need to align with the vision they have. So this person isn't going to get to come in and, like, completely, like, change things and not care about, you know, what Matt Rule has started. They're going to have to go along with what Matt Rule has already put in place. So while they'll come with their own ideas, and I'm sure, you know, there will be restructuring to the front office, there's a vision already in place, and they kind of have to jump on board. <laughs> so that's kind of going to be a prerequisite for whoever is hired. Um and also, they have some big personnel moves to make. I mean, they could be drafting the franchise quarterback very well in the first round of this year's draft. So I think there's some big personnel moves to make. And that however the front office is restructured around this person, while it'll be somewhat based on what they're looking for, it's also going to be taking in mind what's already in place um, in the organization. You talked about possibly drafting a future quarterback in, in next year's draft. Let's talk about the current quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater. He he signed to a three-year deal. Uh, he has taken some heat here lately. How would you rate his play this season? That's a good question. Um, 
average. I think I would say, I don't know what my scale is, but I would call him average. Um, I think, you know, there's been times at the end of the game which have not all been on him. That's been on offensive coordinator Joe Brady and Matt Rule as well, some instances. But um, for your starting quarterback to have had the ball eight times with the chance to win or tie a football game and all eight have been unsuccessful, some of that, I do believe, falls on the quarterback. He's the guy with the ball in his hands on every play. There's a lot of other reasons, but that is a factor. Um, you know, he's had some times when he's looked really good. I mean, he's completing a lot of passes. He's had some drives. It's like, wow, this offense is exciting. And then, you know, he has he fumbles on the goal line and, like, makes some weird choices in holding on to the football. So, um, has had good moments and bad, but he certainly hasn't proven that he deserves a starting job for years and years to come. Bridgewater just looks like a guy that I would love to have on my team. He, he's a great leader. Um, people respect him, right? His story has been well documented. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. His his play this season has been average. But just to be fair, I mean, Christian McCaffrey hasn't been there, and that's the Panthers' best player on offense, and I'm sure they would have used him a lot more in, in Joe Brady's offense. So what do you think happens? Do you think they'll, they're will they seriously considering drafting a quarterback with that first pick? And do you think they'll move on from Bridgewater? I know it's a tough question, but it's just what what is your gut telling you now that the GM who, who signed Bridgewater is gone? Which direction do you think they're going to go here? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and I would say too quickly to your McCaffrey point, um, I agree with that. You know, not having Christian in 11 games so far is massive. But I would also say, personally, when I'm looking at it, I would want my starting quarterback. I mean, he's got three really talented wide receivers. I don't expect him to win a ton of games without McCaffrey, but I would say he should be able to win some games on his own. You know, I do think there's that element. But with moving on, I do think drafting a quarterback um, in the first round or even later is something that is – very much so on the table. I don't think I could say for certain either way. It's too early. There's no GM in the building. <laughs> but I do think there's a very real possibility. And But I do not see – I think this should be clear. When Teddy Bridgewater signed his contract, they kind of set it up for this situation. This was always going to be on the table, even if he'd had a pretty good season to draft a quarterback, because that's the way his contract is set up. He's on a three-year deal, and it does not make sense to cut him. I think he will be on this team in 2021. Um, but in 2022, it is very easy to move on from him. So I think even if they draft a quarterback, I think Teddy Bridgewater will still be on this team and supporting whoever they draft if they were to. But long-term-wise, I don't see him, but I do think he'll be on this team in 2021. Put your GM hat on. Which way would you go? Would you go quarterback or would you go corner or tight end in the first round? I'm just curious. What's the weakest position on the Panthers squad right now? Oh, that's a great – I see that's what you phrase that in a very interesting way. Quarterback is not the weakest position on that roster at all. <laughs> There's a lot of positions that need much help. Um, I, If I was the GM, I would take a quarterback. It depends where they pick. If they pick at four – and one of, you know, there's a lot of names being floated around. It kind of depends what the Jets end up doing, right? Do they take a quarterback at two? We think so, but they could go offensive line. Um, to me, if the Panthers, if the quarterback the Panthers want is available, um, I would take a quarterback without a doubt. If there's someone they're comfortable in, even if he can't, that's why Teddy Bridgewater's here in 2021. They don't need this guy to start. So he just like, needs to have potential. If they feel like that person with potential is there, 100% I would. Without a doubt, I do not think Teddy Bridgewater is the guy of the future. However, if there's any doubt, I wouldn't push it because Teddy Bridgewater gives them an extra year. They could draft a quarterback in 2022 if that guy is not there. Um, and I think the offensive line is where I would go if that quarterback is not there because at some point you're going to have a young quarterback on this team and they do not have an offensive line in place to support that player. All right, let, let's turn to the to the head coach, Matt Rule. He comes in this year, kind of resurrected a couple of programs at Temple and Baylor. What would you say, Elena, what was your impression of him maybe when he first came in versus we haven't gone through a full season, but almost a full season. Has there been any change in, in him, your first impression, and kind of where he's at now? I don't think so. Matt Rule's pretty consistent. You know, it's all about the process. It's all about – 
you know, how he wants to run things, how, you know, it's his program. I, no, I mean, I think Matt Rule has been very consistent um, since he was hired. He's kind of been saying the same things over and over again with this team and how, you know, he's like, they're not going to be resting starters through these last two games because that's just not a Matt Rule thing. And he's someone who competitive is the priority um, above everything else. He's not going to play someone who's unhealthy, but, you know, he's made a commitment that, you know, it would be great for the Panthers to see Will Greer out there, but that's not going to happen. Um, it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater unless he gets hurt. You know, he's been consistent in that way, just wanting to be competitive. He's had a good first year. I think he was given a pretty tough situation to come into, but I think he's been very consistent. Um, and, you know, it's what we expected from his first year. It was going to be hard, and they weren't going to win a lot of games, but you're definitely seeing progress. Okay, which players do you think have benefited the most from Matt Rule being there versus the, maybe the previous regime? I mean, I think you'd have to look at a guy like Brian Burns. Um, I think he would have had success maybe in any regime. And, you know, he had a tough injury that impacted his rookie year, but what a season he's put together. I think Brian Burns has been very impressive. Like he's turned into, like, someone that the opposing teams have to double team, and I think – He's not in the scheme he was drafted to be in, but he still had a lot of his eight sacks. It's really, he's had a good season. So I think he's the one who's had a lot of success, but he may have done that with a different coaching staff. I think it's more him, maybe. Um, but outside of him, I would say, you know, this is how much to do with the coaching staff, but we kind of ignore how well Mike Davis plays when they give him the football. They've been in a lot of deficits, so they've had to go away from running the ball. But I think Mike Davis has just proved that he's a great backup. I mean, I can't imagine what the team record might be without him, but he's been a really solid backup, and I think he's really succeeded in this offense. And this may be a little, I guess, a little bit different, and I'm not sure if you, you know, if you were there to kind of witness it, but maybe some things that you've heard from the past – the, I guess the difference between, I mean, Ron Rivera, very strong personality, Cam Newton, a very unusual personality, what the difference might be between those guys and kind of, you know, the rule Bridgewater, kind of the feel of the, the whole organization, if that's something that you can even comment on. Yeah, I was there for the end, the end of the Ron Rivera era in Panthers history, so I got a taste of it, and um. I mean, it's very different. I mean, I also talk to people who've been around a while, and it's it's just a whole it's a whole different thing. It's I mean, Cam Newton. I mean, I don't have to tell you guys. Cam Newton is a whole Cam Newton. <laughs> so you know, he comes with a lot of different things. But Teddy Bridgewater is a very different starting quarterback, um, both in personality and performance, and how he leads. Um, he's not as loud, I would say, and I don't think that's a negative for Cam at all. I think that's a quality that is good for Cam. Ron and Matt each run their teams incredibly differently. Um, I think you see that in a lot of ways. Um, me hear Matt talk about a process and, you know, he's done this losing to winning and Ron, that it was just, he'd been in Carolina so long and a lot of people at the organization still with playing him this weekend, you know, there's a lot of respect there. But yeah, I think this has a totally different feel to it. Um, and not necessarily in a good or a bad way, but it's just different people and different personalities. And this is not, I mean, this is a completely different organization from a year ago. You mentioned Jill Brady earlier when you spoke. Uh, obviously, he had that magical season at LSU last season. How has he performed in his new role in the first year with this team? I, From the outside in, I've seen a couple of Panthers games, and I just... I think he's seen better days. I think he has struggled at times. I do not disagree with you. I think the thing with Joe is he came in and there was so much hype, right? It was all, oh, he's like a boy, a boy genius. You know, he's so young. He's 31. There's all this excitement about um, what he can do. Um, and, yeah, this offense has been okay. I mean, it's a, it is how much you put on not having Christian McCaffrey. I think that is a factor. The offense has – there's been some weird play calling, and there's been times when it, like, doesn't really make sense. I think, you know, he switched from coaching in the booth to being down on the field calling the plays, and he's there now, and he'll stay. Um, but I think everyone needs to remember, this is his first year as an offensive coordinator on any level. He's never done it before, and I think 
growing pains are part of taking over something you haven't done before. Yeah, I mean, I think he's been fine. I think there's been end-of-game situations you could easily point to that fall on him and rule. I think he's been fine. I think there will be, you know, we're going to hear his name around the head coaching circles, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's a year away. Um, I just don't think he's blown anyone away yet. You know, there's one group that's been uh, very surprising to me. It's it's the wide receivers. DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson. Talk about this group as a whole because they've played really well. Yeah, that's what's so frustrating about this offense, I feel like. I think you're right. They have played well, and that's why it's weird to me sometimes when it's just not clicking because – those guys have been out there on the field together. There's like two games when one of them wasn't out there, but they've been healthy and they're playing really well. And for some reason this offense still isn't working. Um, but yeah, I think they've been really, you know, Robbie Anderson has his first 1,000 receiving yard season in his career now. Um, he and DJ both are over 1,000. Um, it's the first time the Panthers have had two wide receivers over 1,000 receiving yards since before 2000, so it's been a while. They're really good. You know, Curtis Samuel is one of those guys whose contract is up at the end of the season, and they're going to have a hard time paying him. Yeah, I think Curtis Samuel has been a really consistent player on third down, and he can run the football. So I think they've gotten a lot of production from those three players, and for some reason the offense still hasn't gotten to what it could be, but they've all been really productive. Bridgewater just needs a tight end. I mean, I think that would help him. Yeah in this regard and yeah. uh definitely i mean he he likes to throw to his backs and, and he likes to find that tight end in the middle of the field you know a lot of their issues are like scoring you know christian mccaffrey for most of the season he's played in two and a half games um until very recently he led this team in touchdowns and i think with six and he played in two and a half games and this was well well into the season until mike davis took over that title so they just have not been able to and I think tight end, not having a consistent passing, um, receiving tight end has been a huge issue. One more question here. We'll wrap things up. But, uh, you know, we touched on the players, the coach, GM, uh, one of the coordinators. And you talked a little bit about, about the owner and his vision. I mean, everybody, I think, just kind of has this impression of David Tepper hedge fund manager, kind of a maverick, you know, comes in, was I guess he had part ownership of the Steelers, kind of gave that up. He's a Pittsburgh guy. Anyway, so we've got somewhat of a perception, but now you've covered the team for a bit. What What's your impression of David Tepper? What, what are your, what's your feedback about him? What a question. David Tepper is an interesting guy. He's someone who, you know, he's very smart. I think one thing that stood out to me, you know, he ta- he talked to the media many times, a few times while I've covered the team, and he always comes across the same way. He has beliefs he sticks to and how he wants things to be done, um, and that's from his experience of what's worked. I think he was smart. He, you know, he pointed to a, he got asked why keep Marty Herney around, why not have fired him last year um, when Matt Rule was hired, and he said, you know, Matt needed a teacher, and he needed a teacher. He was a part owner of the Steelers, but he'd never owned an NFL team before to this level. Um, He needed to learn what it took, and keeping someone around like Marty to teach is a smart thing to do. It's something, you know, well thought out. So I think he's a very intelligent man, which is clear by the success he's had financially. But I also think he's, you know, someone who is going, you know, he's someone who said patience, patience, patience with building this team. And I don't know how patient he can be. That's going to be something to keep an eye on. He's someone who is going to want to see results, something tangible. Um, that's just the way he operates. So it's going to be interesting to see. Um, you know, he gave Matt Rule a very big contract, so he's kind of putting it all on him. But someone who's very process-oriented, someone who's very intelligent, and he's trying to apply what he's learned in the business world to running a football team. Yeah, well, he's a not very different from Jerry Richardson and, you know, wanting to be very um, a step ahead of everyone and doing things differently. We're just going to have to see if it works out. Well, that's great. We really appreciate you uh, being on with us, Elena. Tell our fans and the listeners uh, where they might be able to find you on social media and uh, find your work. Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter at A. Getzenberg, and then all of our stories are on charlotteobserver.com so feel free to read we'll be covering this exciting search for a new GM and then quite the draft ahead for the Panthers so 
That's where you can find us. Great. Like I said, thanks for being with us. We really appreciate your time and insight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's get to the Chicago Bears. Um, the Bears have won two straight games after losing six straight games. Mitchell Trubisky is, is gaining some steam. People are starting to believe in him again because his completion percentage is up. He threw for a lot of yards last game, and he's giving Bears fans hope. And I'm sure he's giving Matt Nagy and, and Ryan Pace hope that they can keep their job past this year. Trubisky looks like he's their guy. The Bears are 7-7 seven and seven right now. So what do you think about Mitchell Trubisky and the Bears as we sit here well, right now? It's, it's you know, a little bit of a head-scratcher. A lot of this, I think, has more to do with David Montgomery and their ability to run the ball. Now, let's not get too carried away. It's against Detroit, Houston, and you know the aforementioned uh, disappointing team, Minnesota Vikings. Uh, now, they scored over 30 all three games. But they're running the ball 140 yards, 169, 199 against Minnesota. And, yes, Mitch Mitchell is completing well over 70% of his passes, averaging you know a little over uh, 250 yards, 260 yards a game. But I think Nagy would probably have to pull a Kevin Stefanski for this, for this to actually work. And by a Kevin Stefanski meeting, they would have to – become that kind of zone running team a little bit of Mitchell Trubisky a la Baker Mayfield in Cleveland now I don't know if if Mitchell's they seem to be the same type of player you know again I haven't studied him enough to see kind of like if it's all on him is it the team around him is are they just asking him to do things that he can't do but I think in their uh, best picture for this for if they were really set like this is going to work and and Nagy's going to remain and Pace is going to remain and we're keeping Mitchell that offense would have to look a lot more like the Browns than what Nagy's idea was like the Chiefs or Eagles offense right this is kind of the formula can they do it do they have the offensive line to do it is, are they willing to change their philosophy a little bit so far these three games they have maybe they finally come to that that fork in the road where it's like okay this just isn't working we have to bring Mitchell in and this is the way we have to play well okay fine we've got a great defense why can't this work Again, I'm not going to get too excited because it's been you know three not so good teams. Like you said, they played Jacksonville this week, so that's really not going to tell us anything. But again, if I had to say how's it going to work, that would be the way it works. Otherwise, they're going to have to blow it up and come back and do something else. And Mitchell will go on his merry way and go to another team, and hopefully, they can resurrect his career, which. We we see we've seen it happen with a few few different quarterbacks, but uh, it's highly unlikely. But like I said, that's that's the formula. The Bears, according to Bovada, are minus seven and a half uh, point favorites away versus the the Jacksonville Jaguars this week. So it looks like one of those trap games. I mean, the the Bears should score like forty points on Jacksonville, but I'm not sure they will. Here's the thing. If Nagy and Pace come back, the only way they come back is if the Bears continue their strong play. If they win two more games and finish out the season 9-7, and seven, they don't have to get into the playoffs, but at least it will show the front office and the ownership that they made some progress. It is against bad teams, and I do think that the Mitch Trubisky that we're seeing right now is just it's fool's gold. He's not fooling me right now. And if he's out in the market, there's no way I'm signing him. He wouldn't be my type of quarterback just because I think he is, he's a below-average guy. And I don't think he's going he's gonna to all of a sudden become th- this great guy. But look what David Montgomery is doing the past, like, three weeks. I'm not even recognizing the same player. It's almost like he has switched course or something like that. That, that Mission Impossible movie, you know, he... He switched that mask, and that's not David Montgomery in there because David Montgomery has been an average back throughout his career, not only this season but last year as well. He's got four straight games with at least 100 yards from scrimmage, and it was his third 100-yard rushing game in the span as the Bears beat the Vikings. 
it has more to do with the running right. game, that they're giving him the ball, and he just looks like a completely different player. Usually backs get injuries. They look tired at the end of the season because of the hits that they've taken. But David Montgomery has really been a revelation here for the Bears, and I would say it's more about him and the defense than it is about Trubisky, and, and that's the reason why the Bears are winning. Right, and they finished with the Packers, so maybe that would be a, a little bit better indication of where they're at. Ver, you know, looking at you know Detroit, Houston, Minnesota, that you said they got Jacksonville this week. Maybe they roll them. Maybe that that tells us a little something. Here's a game where they go on the road. They've got no business being favored over anybody, quite frankly. But they're seven and a half point favorites on the road. Go do what you're supposed to do. Blow them out, or at least you know beat them handily, and then come and play a decent game or be competitive with the Packers. And maybe that will give you some reason if you really if you really were leaning in that direction. But it's it's hard to really look at the rest of the the body of work and say, okay, this is going to continue. Yeah, I'm not sold, but yeah, that that Packer game will tell us a little bit. But yeah, Montgomery, yeah, he's seen five touchdowns the last three games, 140, 113, seven. You know, he's yeah, he's he's playing great. So if this is something that they feel confident in, maybe a different quarterback runs that type of offense, or maybe they're you know give. Mitchell, one last try. But, uh, yeah, I just don't – I'm not feeling it, but that would be the recipe. Let's welcome our guest to the show. Uh, he is Zach Berman. He covers the Eagles for The Athletic. Uh, he joins us right now. Zach, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Let's start with Carson Wentz. Everybody is talking about the, the former starting quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. Before getting benched, uh, he was having his worst NFL season of his career. What has happened to him this year? I mean, talk about his regression. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uncharacteristic going from a very good quarterback. You know, he was an MVP candidate in 2017. Even these past two seasons, he was above average, right? And uh, he regressed to uh, one of the worst quarterbacks in the league this year. I, I, I don't think there's a specific reason why heard a lot of theories from you know maybe the injuries in the previous years have have made him just a fraction uh off in, in a variety of ways maybe the personnel around him the Eagles have have a banged up offensive line underachieving wide receivers uh maybe the coaching staff changes maybe the fact that they drafted Jalen Hurts and the pressure that created or maybe it's just it's just Carson not playing well, right? You know, trying to do too much, forcing things. Uh, there are a lot of different theories for it. I, I think if anyone knew the answer, it would have been fixed by now. So Zach, I mean, it's there's no secret. I mean, obviously the Super Bowl run was uh, was Nick Foles after uh, Wentz's injury, and he got to watch the whole thing, right? And then they put up a statue in front of the building for the guy that took his place. I mean, do you think that he's ever recovered from just going through that whole thing? Do you think he's kind of – it's still in his head? I don't think the the Nick Foles thing is a problem right now, right? You know, Nick did an outstanding job in, in, in that 2017 postseason, you know, in the postseason, bringing the Eagles to the Super Bowl after the way Carson played through the first 13 weeks. But, look, Nick Foles, the Eagles moved on from him. After the, the 2018 season, I thought Carson had had some good games last year, especially down the stretch. He led the Eagles. The Eagles gave him a, a $128 million contract. I don't think the issue is uh, is Nick Foles, no. I guess not necessarily Foles, but just I guess is does he have the ment- I guess the mental toughness to kind of get over that because it just seems like something like you said. I mean, if if anybody knew, they they would have fixed that. And you, and you also mentioned you know they drafted Hurts. You know, another situation where it's like, well, maybe you know maybe I'm not quite the guy here. You know, if Hurts keeps playing well the rest rest of the way, now I I, I get it. It's a, a small sample size, but. Is this going to be a solution or more of a problem for Philly? Depends what you think of of Carson Wentz's prospects, right? Like if if you don't think Carson is going to ever return to that form, then what Jalen Hurts is doing right now uh, could potentially give the Eagles the quarterback that they want or need, right? It's really hard to answer that question after two games of Jalen Hurts and without knowing 
what they're going to do with with Carson Wentz. Like there's there's so much money and so much organizational commitment in the Carson Wentz. That's a major decision, and and, and so. I guess in the short term, it's a good thing that Jalen Hurts is playing well, and certainly the Eagles did a good job with the evaluation there. Uh, you can still argue about the valuation. If Hurts is a, is a good NFL quarterback, I mean, that's a good outcome independent of anything with Carson. But the big variable here is, is what happens with Carson Wentz and, and what the Eagles do there. So it's it's really hard for me to, to kind of like definitively answer that because there's just so much unknown in terms of what's going to happen. Sure. Now, uh, we know Jerry Jones in the division is an outlier as far as an owner goes. Jeffrey Lurie just seems, you know, he's kind of middle, again, from the outside looking in. I mean, you sitting there. How involved is is Jeffrey in the the day-to-day aspect of things? And if there's a quarterback decision to be made, you know, do you think he's going to become involved in that? Oh yeah, I mean, well, first off, Jerry Lurie's involved in the organization. You know, he he's not an absentee owner. Now he's he's not picking out who should be like the third string right guard, for instance. All the big picture decisions, all the strategic decisions, and kind of the process for making those decisions, Jeffrey Lurie uh, is very tuned into that. I can assure you that that nothing that happens at the quarterback position this off season will be a surprise to Jeffrey Lurie. Zach Berman of uh, The Athletic is here with us. Uh, When the Eagles won the Super Bowl, Doug Peterson was the ultimate savior in Philly. But things change in a hurry in the NFL. Do you get the feeling that Peterson's tenure is coming to an end? I don't know that yet. You know, I I, I certainly think this year has been been bad. Like, there's, there's no rationalization for the way they're playing this year. They had playoff aspirations, and they're a 4-1 team right now. And there has been regression since the Super Bowl, right? They made the playoffs the past two years at nine and seven. Doug has a lot of qualities as a coach. It's hard to find coaches who who can win you the Super Bowl, and and Doug Peterson's done that. But what the Eagles need to determine is uh, a who their quarterback's going to be. B is Doug the coach in terms of you know the play calling, the offensive infrastructure to make that quarterback succeed. And then also kind of the big picture stuff. And I, I, I think Doug has a very good job or, or does a very good job in terms of his pulse at the locker room, in terms of managing the team. It's been five years here. I don't want to say he's, he's going to be fired, but I'll say that it's, it's, it's not certain that he's back next year. You know, I think there's a lot of variables at play here. There's still two more games, right? Like they're, they're not going to make that decision on December 22nd. So, They'll see what happens after after these final two games, and they'll take all that information into account, and they'll make a decision. Zach, now injuries seem to have played a, a big role in the Eagles' seasons, the last two, up and down. I mean, just unprecedented, it seems like. And I, I wouldn't float this out there like as a uh, theory, but has it ever come? Has anything come up with the strength and conditioning, or maybe the off-season program with these guys, or is it just bad luck? Well, the Eagles have overhauled their their training staff and their strength and conditioning staff um, in recent years. And in terms of the medical staff, they've made a lot of changes there too. So this has been an ongoing problem, and, and the Eagles have 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 tried a lot of different things to try to fix it. But the bottom line is, it's not working. Right? They still have a lot of injuries. Now, now football is a violent sport, and there are going to be injuries. But uh, the injury rate for the Eagles is is very concerning. Obviously, we'll find out what happens with Jalen Hurts the next couple of weeks. He showed promise the, the last two weeks. But overall, when you look at this rookie class, has it been a big letdown? Sure. I, I, I would certainly say so. I mean, their priority this offseason was, or I guess I guess one of their priorities was fixing wide receiver. They took Jalen Rager, number 21 overall. They took him over Justin Jefferson and, and some of the wide receivers after Jefferson who performed well this year. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, um, you know T. Higgins. So the book's not written on on Jalen Rager, but and and he has had injuries. I expected him, and they expected him to uh, be more productive this year, and and that was a major major pick. And there are are, are questions about that pick. Now Jalen Hurts in the second round, that was obviously a polarizing pick. If that pick affected your franchise quarterback, then that's a major problem. But if you're getting this type of quarterback production from a second round pick. That's good value right there. But then after that, uh, Davion Taylor in the third round, they knew that was going to be a, a development there, but that hasn't 
Uh, he didn't show much uh, before he went on IR. They liked what I saw from Jack Driscoll in the fourth round. Uh, Tavon Wallace in the fourth round hasn't done too much. Their later day three pick, they got a touchdown from from Quez Watkins last week. Um, John Hightower's had a few flashes this year. But just overall, uh, they haven't gotten enough or as much as they needed from this rookie class. What are what are some reasons for, for optimism moving forward? Have there been any other kind of under-the-radar new faces that have shown some promise? Well, I, I would say earlier this season – uh, Travis Fogum, you know, he had a stretch in October where he was he was one of the most productive receivers in the league. He's regressed since then or hasn't been as involved since then. You know, the Eagles have, have a really good uh, defensive line, uh, most of whom, if not all of whom, you know, the top guys will be back next year. That's a good place to start. I think on the, on the offensive line, uh, Jordan Mailata showed a lot of promise this year at left tackle. They're, they're, they're going to get Lane Johnson back next year. They're going to get Brandon Brooks back next year. It's not an empty cupboard, but, but the Eagles do have a lot of things they need to fix. The Eagles have two last games left. Uh, it's against the Cowboys this week, and the Eagles are minus two, according to Bovada, on the road. And they've got Washington, the last game on the schedule. They're playing better the last two weeks. We'll put you on the spot. Will this team make the playoffs? I I don't think they're they're going to make the playoffs. Certainly not out of the realm of possibility because the Eagles need to win those two games. They need Washington to lose to Carolina, and, and they need the Giants to lose one. But I don't think it's certain that the Eagles win both these games. Right? The Eagles are a four-win team this year. They lost to Washington in Week One. You know they 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 beat the Cowboys earlier this year, but that was when Ben DiNucci was the quarterback. Look, it's it's certainly possible. But if I had if I had to bet on it, I I would say no. Zach, uh, please tell our listeners where they can find you on social media and uh, who you write for. Yes, you can uh, see all my work on The Athletic, so, so, so go to theathletic.com and subscribe there. And then uh, on social media, uh, on, on Twitter, at ZBerm, Z-B-E-R-M. Zach, thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you. What are the Jets doing, Lou? <laughs> I thought they were going to go down their path. They were going to go 0-16. They were going to join the ranks of the Detroit Lions, and they look like one of the worst teams ever. All of a sudden, the Jets beat a pretty good Los Angeles Rams team. It was their first win of the season, and you know what? The Jets are blowing it right now because they surrendered that first pick in the draft to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, you know what? Jets fans are depressed right now. The Jacksonville Jaguars fans are just elated with this with this recent development. Well, they've got like you said, the bear, the Bears and the Colts. So I don't see I don't see them winning either. If they were going to win a game, maybe this one. But the Colts, I don't think are going to get caught with their pants down again against Jacksonville like they did Week One. That's the only win they have uh, at home and. It's going to be for the, it's going to be for playoff seeding or a position period. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it's more so. I would have to think on the Rams to just come out and lay an egg. Maybe looking ahead to the Seahawks game this week, the players want want to put good film out there. They're not tanky. They don't. They don't care. They may not be back next year, many of them, right? So they want to put good tape out. They don't want to be, nobody wants to be associated with an 0-16 on their ledger, but my goodness, I mean, this is just the Jets being the Jets, like out of the blue. I mean, it's like, of all the games that they could have won, they go on the road and beat a playoff team. What do you do now? Do you stick... Steve Darnold. Stick with Darnold, maybe use that second pick as bait for some team that wants to come up and get Fields, or I don't know if anybody. Do you see anybody surpassing Fields? I think ultimately, I mean Zach Wilson from BYU is an interesting yeah. prospect, and he is going to be a yeah. riser. And he had a really good game against UCF yesterday yeah. on TV, and finally, you know, was able to show against a good team that he can put up those huge numbers. So the, the hype is warranted. But I do think that Fields is going to be too good to pass up at that spot just because of his ability, his dual threat ability, his athleticism. I think they're still in a good place. Right now it looks pretty bad because you're figuring Trevor Lawrence, generational talent, 
everybody seems to be sold that, you know, outside, I don't know, maybe Andrew Luck, John Elway, you know, his prospects coming in where these guys were just like can't miss uh, that he's kind of mentioned in that breath. So, yeah, that's just, again, the Jets being the Jets. But they got a ton of picks. Joe Douglas is a pretty, pretty smart dude. He's going to draft some good players. I think they've got a, a really healthy cap situation too. If they wanted to, you know, sign some free agents, so they just got to get the coach right. Get the coach right. Darnold needs protection, needs some some weapons, and then you can judge him. I don't think you can based on the last two seasons as bad as the rest of the team has been. All right, they got to continue and get back on the right track on their losing track in order to get back into that number one talk again. I mean, that's it. Lose the last two games, hope that Jacksonville beats the Bears, and then that's it. You're in the Trevor Lawrence conversation because right now a lot of people are just depressed. They had the ultimate prize. They they saw it. It was Trevor Lawrence, and all of a sudden, like, everything. The sky just fell down. Let's get to your picks, Lou. I'm excited. Let, let's get to it. It's the, the holiday edition. You know, people aren't buying Christmas presents right now. They're going to Vegas, and they're putting money on these <laughs> NFL teams. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but don't spend it all on these picks. Well, last week wasn't too bad. Two and one. We, we kicked out the, the Giants pick. It was just too, too goofy with the whole Freddie Kitchens thing and then no Daniel Jones. So... But anyway, uh, yeah, we talked about the rant. I knew making that pick was just – I never thought they would lose the game. But to, but 17, that was way too much. That was a bad pick. But Miami, Miami got it done. You know, they played well against the Patriots, and the Patriots just aren't able to score points. We talked a lot about, you know, what makes the Dolphins so good, and they, they just played a normal game for them, and they got it done. And the football team – Plus six, they lost by five against Seattle, so that was a good one. So picks at 14, 15, and one, looking to get back to 500, maybe get over the 500 mark by the end of the season. So here we go. First one, Arizona is minus five against San Francisco. C.J. Beathard is going to be the starting quarterback. Of course, it's kind of a home team for or home game for both teams since San Francisco has been uh, sharing space with the Cardinals. Cardinals normally give them fits. I'm torn on this one, but I think I'm going to go with Arizona minus five. Uh, second one, we talked a little bit about the Tennessee-Green Bay game. I'm still not sold on Green Bay. Number seems way too low. I'm going to take Tennessee with the three points. They're making their playoff run at this point. Tannehill is quietly having another great season. And Derrick Henry is Derrick Henry. We don't have to talk about him. Uh, the Steelers. Steelers are at home. Getting two from Indianapolis, that's where they are right now. Indianapolis is favored on the road against Pittsburgh, and this typically would be my ugly game of the week, and I would take Pittsburgh, but no way. I can't do it. After watching them the last three games, Ben does not look right. That offense looks broken, and the defense is missing some key players. I mean, T.J. Watt's doing what he can, some other guys filling in. To it, I just don't I don't even hear his name anymore. Hayward's playing decent, but uh, I'm going to go with Indianapolis. You lane the two on the road. This goes against every fiber in my being, but I just think the Colts are going to beat them. And then finally, Buffalo, minus seven at New England. Again, a home dog getting seven points, but the home teams aren't what they have been in the past. That home field advantage this year without the fans, without that energy, it's just not the same thing. So I just think Buffalo is one of those teams. I don't know if they were really a surprise team, so we really couldn't talk about them in that segment. But, damn, they're good. I'm going to take Buffalo minus seven. So there's four of them for you. Alex, thoughts, comments, what do you got? It's the holiday edition. So I'm hoping you go 4-0, you know, where Christmas is right around the corner. And... Yeah, I just I'm I'm hoping that you know we we hit all of them and you get over the 500 mark. In conclusion, I wanted to talk about Tom Brady really quickly. Brady threw for 320 yards in the second half to beat the Falcons, who 
must have seen nightmares about another Brady comeback because this one didn't matter. Blowing a 17 to nothing halftime lead in an unimportant game is not exactly as the same as, as blowing that 28 to 3 lead in the second half of the Super Bowl. But it's ironic that Brady had his most productive day as a buck. He threw for 390 yards the day the Patriots were eliminated from the playoffs. He's headed for a season at 43, Lou, when he'll be better statistically in all categories. Yards, touchdown passes, accuracy, and rating. And all these numbers are going to be better than his last year in New England. It's incredible because, I mean, we're seeing Big Ben struggling Brady has taken some criticism this year for some of those picks, for that Bears game at the end. But you know what? It's still incredible because he's 43 years old and he's doing it. He's playing it at such a high level. I'm old school, and I would have told you before Tom Brady that Joe Montana was the best quarterback that I saw. But Brady has surpassed him. He is the GOAT, and I just I wanted to bring that up at the end of the TB12. All right, gang, thanks to our guests for joining us today. Thank you all for listening. Merry Christmas, and as always, peace!